And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Sales cures ales, people. If you haven't heard that, you needed to. And if you've heard it before, then you probably already know it. So how do you go about building a sales organization and getting the right kind of people in that know how to sell, sell, sell? That's what we're going to talk about. And I have a whole lot of stuff to say about that. But before we get started, I want to remind you that as a small business owner, paying and taking care of your team, it can be tough, especially now. That's why Gusto built an easy-to-use payroll, benefits, onboarding, and HR tool. Even better, our listeners get three free months if you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. That's right, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. All right. I said that today we're going to talk about building a sales organization. And if you listen regularly, you know that I love sales. I love selling things. Anytime you sell a lot, you earn a lot, you increase your revenue a lot, well, you feel better a lot. With me today, I've got Sahil Mansuri. He is the CEO of Bravado Network. You can go visit and learn more about what they do while you listen at bravado.co. Sahil, welcome to Startup Hustle. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. You guys have built quite the uh, professional network for sales. And I like to say that no one says it better than CEOs and founders themselves. So why don't you give give us all a little backstory about what you guys are doing out there? Yeah. Um, So Bravado is a professional network for sales, as you said, Matt. Um, We help about 85,000 salespeople across the country, most of whom are in uh, B2B tech sales, uh, really is our focus. Um, although, you know, we do have folks who do things like ad sales and commercial real estate and that sort of thing as well. Um, and Bravado is uh, kind of a three-part community for salespeople to learn, network, grow their careers. Uh, we also offer some features like mentorship um, to, to improve your craft or to give back to the profession if you've made it to that level in your career. And then we have a way for salespeople to be entrepreneurs on our site. So we help salespeople monetize their Rolodex and uh, build their uh, own business using Bravado. So I have a, a quick, if you're around salespeople a lot, you'll appreciate this salesperson joke that I'm going to make up kind of right now. So how many, how many, how many salespeople does it take to make a sale? I don't know. Tell me, Matt. It takes eight. It takes one to actually make the sale and seven to say, man, I sure could have sold that faster. <laughs> It's kind of true. Now that that same joke you can use for lead guitarists, for a whole lot of other type things, but 
Um, you know, one thing that I've learned when it comes to salespeople is, and realistically is that, uh, you know, most, most salespeople think they're great at selling. Very few are. Um, and I say that with love to all of my salespeople out there, but you know, there, there's so much that we can learn, you know, from each other. And that's why networks like Bravado can be helpful. Uh, one of the things over the years that I've been, you know, I, I constantly rant about is that people don't buy features that they buy benefits of what they do. So when it comes to the benefit of Bravado, what, what do you think the biggest benefit is of being a member? Yeah, I want to get back to something you said before. I'll, I'll answer that in a sec, um, which is the kind of everyone thinks that they could have done a better mentality in sales. You know, one of the things that I realized when I was coming up in sales was there's very few ways for you to actually get better at your craft. Uh, the experience that you have as a sales rep is really determined by the org that you work at. You know, if you work for a great manager who knows uh, his or her shit really well, you know, has been in sales for a long time, knows what they're doing. Well, you're going to you're going to end up having a, a good experience if you've got someone who believes in, in a really uh, cutthroat culture, then you're going to grow up in that kind of environment. You grow up, you, you know, you come up in a sales org where people believe in a really collaborative environment, then you're going to learn to sell more collaboratively. Um, some sales managers say that they want tra complete transparency around pricing. Other folks are like, well, whatever you can negotiate and get, the more you'll earn. And so there's no uniform experience of what it means to be in sales. You know, to be a salesperson is basically, a, you know, some sort of a, a determinant of what sort of org you worked at when you got trained. And then you learn these practices on the job. It's not like you go to school to be a salesperson. It's not like you get accredited or certified in sales. Being in sales just means that, like, you know, you have a quota and a, and a lead list, and then you go out and try to make it happen. And different people make it happen in different ways, even in the same team. And so Bravado's mission is to uh, up-level the profession of sales, to elevate the profession of sales, to create some sort of standardization of what it means to be a sales rep, to put some respect on the name of sales, if you will. Um, and so what we do is help sales professionals understand what is right and wrong. We help sales professionals come together in order to ask questions, learn, collaborate, get better at their craft. Um, and we reward salespeople for, uh, you know, sharing best practices and knowledge throughout, throughout the network itself. Yeah. And, you know, the, I think you're spot on about the culture that you grow in as a sales organization. Cause you know, I've been around sale, I, I don't know, over 20 years at this point. And I've worked in organizations. Well, I worked in one organization, quite honestly, that was completely full of shit. And I, oh. and, and the moment that I figured that out, I left because it's just like, you know, I was like, wow, okay. So that's how this is going to be. Um, and, you know, I, I think that when it comes to, so I was watching Masterclass uh, uh, last month and Daniel Pink uh, mm -hmm. has an amazing, has an amazing class in there about the power of persuasion. And there's a section in there where he, he talks about the perception that people have of salespeople and it's not good. I mean, it's not good. The overall perception, and by the way, they, they had uh, asked like 5,000 people to describe a salesperson. All of them described a male, like a man. 
and that was that was interesting right there. But most of the time, it, they just the, a salesperson was described in terms of like used cars and slick talking and stuff like that. I mean, over time, I've learned that the best salespeople view themselves as problem solvers and are great listeners. So. How do you go about overcoming that kind of stigma, that kind of expectation, and that kind of perception if you want to build a sales organization? Yeah. I mean, I think something you just said there spot on, which is sales has stigma associated with it. Um, you know, we did a lot of research when we started Bravado as to why that was. You know, where does the stigma come from? And uh, the answer actually is the fact that, again, there's no because there's no training in sales, there's no minimum certification. Like, you know, nurses don't have a stigma. Well, if you want to be a nurse, you got to go to like nursing school and like pass an exam. And so when you walk into one hospital versus another, you're going to have really similar experiences because there's some standard of care that's been established. You know, even something like real estate, you know, if you want to be a realtor, you've got to understand real estate law and you've got to go through all these certifications and examinations in sales, none of that exists, you know? And so you basically have a bunch of people who are kind of doing whatever they can in order to hit quota. And that's generally the culture of most sales floors. And so, you know, the, the perception of sales, the stigma of sales definitely comes from that experience that people have. But then another component of this is, you know, you think about sales and you think a lot about B2C sales, you know, most or most people interact with salespeople in a, in a consumer way. You know, it's like someone knocked on my door and tried to sell me new, new tiles on my roofs or, you know, I walked onto a car lot and someone tried to sell me a car or whatnot. But what Bravado supports is B2B sales, right? We, we support sales professionals who sell to businesses. And there, there tends to be a different type of sales process and a different level of, of skill and such that's involved that the at least a, a little bit more training and, and whatnot associated with it. Um, but that's not the perception of sales that, that kind of exists more commonly. To, to answer your specific question, which is how do we get away from this perception? Uh, you know, how do we fix this problem? I think the answer is pretty simple. You know, you, you have to create a different incentive structure for salespeople. Right now, salespeople are incentivized to close revenue, right? They, they're made, they make commission and they make commission if they close revenue. And so the salesperson's job, their incentive is to get you to buy their product. That's where the slick talking, like, you know, say dishonest feel around sales, hustler feel around sales comes from. And I believe that, you know, what's important is that we start moving towards a world where salespeople are rewarded for closing the right types of customers. So if they close a customer and that, and that customer is really successful on the product, the salesperson should get paid more. If a salesperson closes a deal and that customer renews next year, that's our, that salesperson should be paid more. If a salesperson closes a deal and that customer refers three of their friends to come and buy, that salesperson should get credit for those deals. So part of Bravado's mission is to find ways of um, helping salespeople get compensated in ways that move them away from like the Glen Gary, Glen Ross world of sales and into this more, um, I guess, think of it as a, you know, elevated way of doing business. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, you know, and, and that's, that's a good take on, you know, a great way to build a sales organization, but, you know, how do you explain that and sell and sell that to salespeople on their way in the door. 
Yeah, it's a good question because currently you walk in through the door and you're like, hey, give me my book, give me my number. If I blow it out, I'm going to make a shit ton of money. And, and that's the incentive structure of sales. And I think the reality is, is once upon a time, that's how companies were measured too. You know, companies were measured on top line revenue growth. Everyone was like, you know, I call this the Groupon playbook, you know, hire as many people in Chicago as you can and, and, and have them sling as many Groupon deals across the country as possible. Yelp did something similar. Salesforce did something similar. Box did something similar. There's all these organizations that are built off of hiring, just flooding the market with salespeople and trying to get as many customers as possible. Well, today the market views that differently. And what people care a lot more about is your sales efficiency. You know, how many deals can one salesperson close? And then for every customer, every dollar of revenue you bring on, you know, how much of that retains over four years and companies are looking at things like LTV CAC and a bunch of other metrics in order to understand what is the real value of the customers you're bringing on? So the way that companies are being measured is changed. Uh, and this is at the Wall Street level. This is at the public you know, stock level, which is then trickles down into the way that venture funding flows through the tech industry, which then trickles down into the way that CEOs are measured, which then eventually gets to VPs of sales and eventually gets to sales reps. So we're, we're in the middle of it now. But the new echelon of companies, the Zooms, the Slacks, the, the, the new organizations that people really champion and want to grow into, these orgs are actually sales second. You know, they're product first and they're, they have incredible product market fit. And then the sales org's job is to take what is an already successful product and then be able to help customers build long-term relationships with the organization as opposed to the way that sales is normally done, which is nobody knows what my product is. I'm just going to hire a bunch of salespeople, put them on the street, give them a phone and a, and a bunch of leads, and let me go out and try to hustle my way into a million dollars in ARR. And so I think the mentality around entrepreneurship as a, as a whole is changing. The mentality around product market fit and rev rack and all this is changing. And because of that, the function of sales will change too. Yeah, and you know, so my company, Fullscale, we sell tech services, fullscale.io, if you want to check us out. And you know, when it comes to selling, and that's been something, so our company grew really fast, and we got a couple hundred employees after in, in two and a half years. And you know, that's even amidst, you know, a, a year of that being pandemic stuff. And uh, that was always the question is, is as far as, well, first off, it's difficult. It was very difficult to find salespeople that to sell tech services, because most people that are versed with tech services are technical people, which usually don't really, well, they're usually not salespeople. <laughs> it's just pretty, pretty simple to say. And, and so, you know, when it, we, we had to bridge that gap between, you know, we compensate based on bringing in a new, a new client or customer, but then also incentivize based on the growth of that of that customer. So we want to see that account grow over time, which means the client is finding success. Now on the flip side of that, let's just say an, a new client starts by spending $10,000 a month, and then all of a sudden they're spending $5,000 a month. We don't incentivize to resell lost revenue. And, you know, so like, so, so with that, we, our hope is that, uh, you know, a salesperson slash account manager really looks at that as like, 
the, the account's loss or loss of revenue, well, I've got to climb back out of that hole. And, you know, that was something that, that, cause that, that's obviously a, a, a sign of, of lack of success. And now that can come from a lot of different things. It's not necessarily the salesperson or the account manager's fault or even our fault. If an account shrinks in size, especially amidst, you know, crazy turbulence, you know, we can't help the fact that when COVID hit any of our accounts that were based around travel or entertainment, it quit. You know, like some of them, we had one one client that literally just called and said, hey, guys, we're quitting. And I was like, "Okay, well, we'll wrap up your account. They're like, no, we're quitting our business. You can't really do a whole lot about that as a salesperson. And that's a sign, you know, that's a sign of the times in this last year. So, yeah, I I hear you on that. And I think that as far as I as I'm concerned, well, I always I, I refer to our company as a as a marketing company that happens to sell tech services. Now, people often bundle sales and marketing, you can get a sales and marketing degree, in some places, and then it was just marketing. How do you begin to separate the two when you talk about it? Because people do often bundle sales and marketing into the same sentence, and they are vastly different worlds. Yeah, I was going to say, you can get a marketing degree in a lot of places. Uh, There's only 53 colleges in the United States that offer a sales degree. I know all of them, and I know most of the people that run those programs. And I think they do a decent job at getting you some of the fundamentals of sales, but they are not built to give you a modern education into what a modern sales process looks like. Like, and that's fine. I mean, the college and university uh, is always going to take a more academic approach towards things. And, and that that's fine unto itself as well. But, but really, I mean, the core fundamentals of what you need in order to be a successful salesperson are completely dependent on your ability to, to understand your industry, right? Like if you're selling tech services as a, as an example, I mean, you've got to know a whole lot about how technical development processes work. You've got to understand what the difference is between a product and a project manager. What is the difference between DevOps and, and, and engineering and front end and back end and design and, you know, different types of, of engineering flows that someone will go through and know the difference between Kanban and agile and like all of the things that, that a prospective buyer is going to throw at you to try to understand if your tech, you know, if your, if your tech services, uh, you know, uh, outsourcing program is going to be able to fit into the, um, into the way that, that this company develops and ships product. And so you're, you know, I mean, as a, as a sales rep for full scale, if you're not able to delineate between the difference, you know, of, of an org that builds web apps versus those that builds mobile apps and how those two programs look very different, or if you're not able to tell the difference between a company that builds both Android and iOS versus one that just builds Android, like, if you don't know how that is going to impact the way that they do you know, QA or the way that their development cycles work and stuff, then you're going to just come across as a talking head salesperson, right? You're going to sound like someone who's a sales rep who's trying to pitch me a product. But if you know all those things and you actually can sit down and say, hey, map out how you ship product today. 
let me understand where you have bottlenecks, where you have gaps that we can help fulfill in order for you to, you know, increase the efficacy by which you de deliver product to the market, by which you ship product, because no CEO, no CTO is ever going to ignore a message that can help them ship product faster and more efficiently. So if you're able to, uh, you know, have that business conversation, then you're a salesperson. If you're just throwing jargon out there, then you're a marketer, you know, like that's the difference. Like a salesperson is someone who can sit down and break down how your company is doing business today, identify where the weaknesses are, explain how your product can fulfill those weaknesses, and then come to an agreement and convince the person to actually try that product out with the aim of making that person be like, oh shit, like, thank God I listened to, to Matt because he actually knew what the heck he was talking about and was able to help me move forward in my, in my business. And now, you know, it used to take us six weeks to go through a, a release and now it's only four weeks. Thank God we adopted full scale. You know, like the, the, the salesperson who cannot do that is, is the marketer, you know, like that's the difference to me is a salesperson knows their, their, their customer's business inside out. Yeah, that's, and you're, you're right about a lot of that. I've actually, uh, one thing that as we built full scale, I, I very quickly realized a couple of things. One, I could not do anything productive to make anybody buy faster, you know, and some, and some, in some instances you can't, you know, like you have some flexibility, you can say, Hey, you know, I'll do this for you. I'll do that. But the true realization that our client's success was, would equate to our success um, really helped me. And, and well, and then a th another part of that is that you mentioned in the beginning, finding the right kinds of, of clients, because uh, the wrong kinds of clients were uh, 10 times more work for one tenth of the reward. Because, you know, for us, the, the hard work is we're, we're all about pairing people up with the right team and building the right team and then or finding the right person to build a team around. And there's while there's a lot of variance from client to client in the end and the, the tradition of the Pareto principle or often known as the 80-20 rule is that, well, pretty much 80 percent of the needs were the same. The 20 percent of variance were things like you mentioned. And then also like finding people like and by the way, when can you start? Because you've got a, you had a very strong grip on all of the things that we need our salespeople to know. Um, you talk about little things like the fact that Java and JavaScript are not the same thing. And if you, if you show up and you don't know the difference to that, you can immediately lose credibility with the people you're talking to. But, uh, really for us, it was, it was that whole, you know, understanding that, that getting the wrong clients in was really a waste of time. And that if we gave someone bad advice on the way in, they were out. You know, like you can't, it's just, it, it, when you're selling services that are technical, well, I mean, it's like, well, I could sit down with someone that said they were a salesperson and if they weren't, I'd know pretty quickly. Yeah. You would too. You would too. So, you know, it's like the same thing. You can't put, you can't put tech services people in front of highly technical people. And there's, there would, there would have been no way to hide that. So I don't know. There's, yeah, there's but, but you bring up, you know, you bring up a really good point, Matt, which is um, 
you know, how do you ensure that you're bringing the right customers on board for your business, the ones that are going to deliver the most amount of revenue? And, you know, it, in, in a weird way, it reminds me a lot of interviewing. I know it's, uh, bear with the analogy for a sec. Well, it is interviewing. Yeah. You know, where it's like, if you're a candidate who's interviewing for a job at the company, your primary job, your, your, your primary mindset is like, I want to get this job. Right? Like you're, you're thinking, I want to get this job. Great candidates don't think that way. They think, I want to make sure that this is the company I want to work for. But most people are like, thank God someone's willing to give me a job. I need to make some money. So let me go and, and get this job. And they end up at the company and then they realize, oh crap, like I don't actually know how to sell this product or, oh crap, this company has no product market fit and they're, 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 a, they're a loser in the market and their product isn't that great. And, you know, no one of their sales reps is hitting quota. And, you know, this OTE was, was just a bunch of bull. And it turns out that like, I shouldn't have taken this job. And then six months, eight months later, they're back on the market looking for work again. While great candidates take a really long time deciding exactly who they're going to work for. And then when they find the job, they know it's a great fit walking in and they're able to really like excel at that role because it's the right company, the right stage, the right fit, the right product, et cetera. And the same can be said about sales where great salespeople do a ton of qualification. They do a ton of work to make sure that the customer that I'm talking to, the buyer I'm talking to, A, that they're serious, B, that they're a good fit for a product, C, that they have the budget, authority, need, et cetera, to like move forward, and, and D, that when they do, this account can actually grow to be worth something big. And by doing that, they actually work fewer deals. The best salespeople I've worked with work fewer deals than the worst salespeople I know. Because the worst salespeople I know are like a, a cat chasing a laser, you know, like all over the place. Because they don't actually know who's serious, who's not. So everything looks somewhat interesting to them. So when someone's a great fit, they spend the same amount of time with them as someone who's a really crappy fit. The best salespeople I know spend no time on anyone that isn't up to a certain threshold. But the people who are at that threshold, they deliver world-class service to and that's what separates great salespeople from the ordinary sales folks is that they have a deep understanding of what makes for a great customer, their ideal customer profile or whatever you want to call it. And then once they find that person, they get their hooks into them. They make sure that that person not just becomes a customer, but becomes a referenceable client and becomes a big spender and becomes deeply loyal because they know one of those is worth 20 folks that you're chasing down that aren't ever going to buy. You know, I've come to the realization that in the world of sales, that there's only two four letter words that matter when it okay. comes to sales. <laughs> and and one of them is not fuck. Let's just get that out of the way. That's that could be that's the third four letter word that that matters kind of. But the first one is sold. And the next one is what I just said next. And, and understanding when it's time. And like you said, kind of like the cat and the laser analogy, I see so many salespeople just like you. It, for me now, look, I, I, in fairness, I'm 46 years old. I've been selling things for at this point, decades. I'm old. Right. And I'm a great salesperson, but I'm a great salesperson because I know the word next. I understand 
when objections are actually are buying signals. And I think that that's one of the things in the in the formative years of a salesperson or people that just maybe might not get it is look when people have, have objections to what you're selling that they're actually usually they're interested not the other way around because if they're not interested at all they've already said next and don't even want to talk to you uh, busy people that are in the right places in the right jobs don't spend time talking to people about shit they don't want to buy and I, and over the, I've had a, I've been a sales manager. I've been a sales leader. I've been a CEO. I've done, I've done it all. I've done it all. And uh, I've been a sales trainer as well. And I have, a, have a, had a very difficult time over the years getting people to wrap their arms around that. You know, that objections are not a bad thing. It's just, it's continued interest in what you're doing. And then also um, trying to help people understand the signals that, make you want that should make you want to say next like getting stuck on the wrong person and wasting your time is less opportunity to get yourself in front of the right people how, how do you how do you deal with and do that yeah i mean you know i i think my default assumption is everyone is next like you have to convince me that you're actually worth me investing further time. Like my job is to basically disqualify every single person who I speak to until they prove otherwise. And so, because most people aren't going to buy, like you just have to know that. Like you, like if you're a great salesperson, you're the best salesperson on, on planet earth. Uh, you know that 99% of people aren't going to buy. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are at sales. Like, your ability to sell isn't equivalent to their ability to buy. Like, just because I can sell something doesn't mean you're going to buy it. Like, you got to have the need, you got to have the budget, you got to have interest. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that have to be true that are completely outside of my control. My job is to figure out if those things are true or not, right? And so what great salespeople do is they're able to get great conversations. I mean, that's, that's the starting point. So let's start there. So what a great salesperson is able to do is they're able to wedge open a new relationship. What crappy salespeople do is they are only able to open the door with people who are not serious buyers, the people who are tire kickers, the people who waste time, right? Because serious decision makers and executives are busy. They're not going to spend their time uh, with folks who are unable to like, you know, deliver value to them right away. So what great salespeople do right away is they show value, come in and, and position themselves as an expert in their industry. So that means that I'm willing to spend the time as a customer with you. When we get on the phone, my job is to figure out why you're not a good fit, not why you are a good fit. Because if I'm trying to try to figure out why you're a good fit, I'll bet I can come up with a reason. You know what that reason is? The reason is I have a quota. So anyone that will breathe and has has the ability to click sign here has a good, you have a good reason to talk to. So my job is to figure out why you're not a good person to talk to. So usually uh, I'll give you a real example of this. So we sell a product at Bravado. It's called Bravado Warm Intros. What it does is yeah, companies give us a list of leads of, of folks they want to talk to. I reach into the Bravado network. I find sales reps who have existing relationships with those very same buyers and then uh, tell, ping them and say, hey, you can sell an intro to this customer. So it's basically like a, you know, monetize your Rolodex product. So got on the phone with a VP of sales at a company that will go unnamed who had emailed me to say, hey, I'm really interested in the warm intros product. How do I get started? Get on the phone with him. 
you know, two, three questions in, I asked him, I said, all right, well, what other sources of leads are you paying for besides this one? And he goes, none, right? He's like, none. I don't, he goes, we, we just prospect into our accounts. We've actually never tested anything like this before. I was like, okay, well, how much do you pay an SDR for a single meeting? He goes, 200 bucks. We pay 200 bucks for a completed meeting. I was like, okay, if I told you that this product cost a thousand dollars a meeting in order to, in order to use this product, would that be out of the question for you from a budget standpoint, or would you be willing to entertain the conversation? And he said, I'll never forget his answer too. It was so good. He was like, well, if it closes at five times the revenue as the average deal that we get, then sure, you know, I'd be willing to do that. Are you, are you, you know, will it close at five X the revenue? And I, and I remember at that moment being like, this person's definitely not going to be a good prospect. And, and the reason for that is because SDR setting meetings doesn't equal revenue, right? There's no connection between the two. Uh, when an SDR sets a meeting, some portion of those meetings turn into revenue. Not, mo not most of them, very few of them turn into revenue. The question he should have asked me is, well, what percentage of the meetings that you're going to set are a good fit for our, our clients or whatever? But I realized really quickly that if this person isn't buying for any other leads, he's paying 200 bucks for an SDR to get a lead. I knew eventually he was going to be like, you know, this is too expensive for us. So I just cut the call in five minutes and moved on. You know, and it, look, there was a time in my sales career where I wouldn't have done that. I would have tried to, I would have been like, yeah, these are going to be the best leads. You know, this is the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross leads, man. Like these are the best leads you've ever seen and try to convince this person that this was going to be worth his time. But ultimately, you know, the person's always going to come back to, I'm going to pay 200 bucks for an SDR. I'm not going to pay a thousand bucks for this thing. And like, it has to be five times as good. Like I knew that was the mentality he was walking in with. And those are just not the people that are going to be successful with a premium product. So like very quickly assessing someone's mindset and then disqualifying them means that when I do get the person who says, Hey, we just raised a $30 million series B. So Hill, I don't care how much it costs. If you can get me great meetings with these buyers, I would pay $5,000 a meeting. I need to like hit pipeline. I've got expectations from my VCs. I'm behind on building pipeline. Like I need to get high quality meetings with these decision makers. That person I spend 10 X the time with and less time with the person who's spending 200 bucks for an SDR appointment. Yeah. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how using that approach helped us build a company with an average client spend of $13,000 a month. Cause I know some people are going to want to be interested to hear that. Now, before we do that, I just wanted to take a minute and shout out to all the startups out there. Cause it's hard work balancing your bottom line and taking care of your team. That's why Gusto built an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll benefits and more automatic payroll tax filings, simple direct deposits, free health insurance, uh, excuse me, not free health insurance, but free health insurance administration. There is a big difference between the two. 401k, onboarding tools, you name it. Gusto's made it simple. And right now you can get three free months once you run, run your first payroll. Gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, that's gusto.com forward slash sale startup hustle. I'd say I'm all in the sales frame of mind. But, you know, using tools like Gusto can help you get your arms back around the sales mentality. All right. So I mentioned before that, and I, I think a couple of people probably got their attention. You know, we've built a sales organization with an average client spend of $13,000 a month recurring, right? And that doesn't occur by finding the wrong people. 
doesn't because it's a lot of money. Let's be realistic. 13 grand a month on a recurring contract. That's a lot. Now, everything we did was geared around what you were saying. Um, we have, you know, we, we incentivize people for referrals. You want to hear more about that? Reach out to me. I'll, I'll get you. I'll get you in line for that. Now, when it comes to, and this is, you talk about warm leads. Our, our sales referral network is 100% on the warm leads. Why? Because they close at a significantly higher rate. You talk about like five times at like a thousand versus 200. This all comes down to quality. Like it's not about the revenue. It's like you said is, is, is something that costs a thousand dollars compared to 200. If it does it five times better or five times faster, it's the same. Those are the exact same things. And I could even make a case for the fact, while the one that's five times more expensive is actually cheaper because you're not going to waste the effort in four and swinging at four pitches that are in the dirt. Because realistically, you got to spend a lot of time. You got to do a lot of stuff there. Now, much like the Bravado Network, I mean, we rely on, we, we look for people that want to monetize their network. I, through the course of running this podcast, you know, we're two days, uh, while this will come out after episode 500, we had 500 episodes of this thing. We got to know a lot of people that knew a lot of other people that knew a lot of other people and knew overall knew a lot of things. And there are too many people that, uh, have this big network of people and relationships and they have no clue how to do anything with it. So you don't have a business or a sales network if you don't know how to do business and sales with them. Instead, you just have a shitload of friends. <laughs> and and that's a, and you, you know that because that's what your business is built around. And and is that is that what Bravado is doing with their warm leads? Are you help are you helping other people help each other and like because really, in the end, there's the world's most popular radio station, Call Signal WIIFM. It's what everyone's tuned into all day, every day, whether you know it or not. And that stands for what's in it for me. <laughs> so, you know, we're all tuned in. WIIFM. World's, I'm trying to get my show on WIIFM. And with our own network, we're, what's in it for you? How about a fat check? So, so how do you guys handle your network and your warm leads and whatever sell me and sell everyone on why that's going to put more, more deals in front of me? Yeah. I mean, the way that we position it to, to our members is look, you've, if you're a salesperson, you've built a Rolodex of uh, great contacts, customers, buyers, champions, influencers at all these great orgs. And odds are pretty good that if you could have sold to them in your current role again, you already would have done it. But maybe you already sold to them at this company. Maybe, you know, you used to sell HR solutions, but now you're selling marketing. And so all your HR solutions are, you know, now all your HR contacts are no longer relevant, but you still have them. They're still really valuable folks. Um, and so the problem is you have access, but you don't have a product to sell. There's other people who have a product to sell, but don't have access. We're, and what we've built is a marketplace that connects the two. So a simple explanation is, you know, let's say I know the VP of marketing at Coca-Cola. 
let's say that she's a really good friend of mine and someone who trusts me and someone who I've done business with and, and knows that I know my shit when it comes to marketing. But right now I'm not selling a product in marketing. I, you know, I'm working on a sales product. So there's a bunch of companies out there that want to sell to the VP of marketing at Coca-Cola. In fact, there's probably a long line of companies that are interested in that. And so what we do is allow you to get bids from those companies who are saying, hey, I'd pay a thousand bucks. I'd pay 2000 bucks if you can connect me to the VP of marketing at Coca-Cola. Now, what's in it for you? What you get besides a thousand bucks, because obviously that's cool, but besides a thousand bucks, what you get is the ability to learn about what cutting edge technology is happening in marketing and be able to be a client advisor, a technology advisor to your VP of marketing at Coca-Cola friend. So now you're reaching out to her and you're saying, hey, I recently got connected to this startup that's solving X, Y, and Z problem. I'm a you know marketing technology advisor on Bravado. And I was curious, you know, does this does this sound like a need that you've that you've got? Because I remember the last time you and I caught up, you were telling me like, wow, you know, we're really focused on building out our brand in LATAM, and this company can help you get international reach. Is that something you're interested in? So now for your VP of marketing at Coca-Cola, she's getting inside look at technologies that can be helpful to her. You as the client advisor are getting paid and you're getting to see what cool tech is out there and help your friends and grow your influence. And for that company, they're getting fast track access to the VP of marketing at Coke instead of having to send 100 cold emails and cold calls or whatnot. So it's basically a warm intro network where the customer, the salesperson, and the company all profit. I, I, I love it. I love it. And, you know, that's the, the if I can help you, expect people to help you. I mean, realistically, like top level people to help you without having them having some vested interest in it. I mean, I did just be realistic. You get back to WIIFM. I mean, you can't, it, there's, there's a lot of, it, in some cases, yeah. It, you know what, if we're, if we're, we've been best friends for like 10 years. Yeah, man, I, I get, I got you. I got you. I got the intro for you. But if you're some, some dude that, you know, you met at a handshake whatever uh you know meet and greet somewhere and next that person's hey man i'm beating down your door right now because i really feel that that 10 seconds that we met each other yeah. i've earned the right for you to introduce me to the network that you've spent a decade building come on wiifm i mean that person needs to tune in tune in what what, what did timothy larry say tune in and drop out Cause you're going to drop you're going to or whatever it was, you know, I can't remember, but, but you really do have to uh, keep in mind. It's like the same thing with people that are advisors for people trying to build an advisory board. And they're like, I'm having a hard time building an advisory board. Did you give the people a, a, a half a percent of equity? No. Well, no wonder no one gives a shit. We're busy people. We got stuff to do, you know, like, I mean, in the end it's like, the, and, and I think it's hard to understand for some people, but, I mean, you have 24 hours. The one thing that, that no one, the one problem that no one has figured out how to solve is how to make a 28 hour day or a 36 hour day. We all have the same amount of time every day, all day. They're not making any more of it and they're not making any less of it, how you choose to use it and where you put your focus and all that. Now, that said, if you create some, some interesting incentive programs or do something, you know, like, I don't know, like, I mean, I'm a lot more apt to want to help you out. I mean, let's just be realistic. If I feel like it's worth my time, 
And, you know, some of the ways that you can erode that pretty quickly with those that want to help you is being really selfish about it. And one of the one of the things you uh, were talking about earlier that I thought really hit home is you get to provide value, you know, like and that's one of the things that that we talk about at, at in our sales meetings at full scale a lot is, hey, put me on the phone with whoever we're talking to at a minimum. They're going to get some decent input. They're going to get some perspective and they're going to get some understanding about what our most the approach, not not exactly what our most uh, successful clients are doing, but how they go about it. You know, and it's that whole like, oh, I never really thought about because we sell, we sell outsource and offshore services, but we don't. But there, people misunderstand that because right. you have to have a local team. We want to build around your all stars. We want you to not have eight people uh, that you can barely afford, but instead have one person you can totally afford because there's four others that are going to dollar cost average that down. Okay. Well, how do you go about doing that? And how do you structure it? And like all these different things. And I mean, our business model was pretty simple when we built our company, we, we started it and we called all of our friends and everyone said, what do you hate? about offshore or outsource development. And they gave us a list. There was like communication, changes in time zone, a few different things. So we just did the opposite. We figured out what everyone hated and we did the opposite. And next thing you know, realistically, next thing you know, we had a couple hundred employees and a whole, you know, so the, that that problem was pretty easy to solve. Now, oh, these sales episodes fly on me, man. They fly on me. And we're 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 getting close to the end of our time. So I want to, before we we get there, I do want to remind everyone that running a startup is hard work. And fortunately, Gusto makes the payroll part easy. On top of that, Gusto offers flexible benefits, simple onboarding, and so much more. Once again, you get three months free. Three. One, two, three free months. If you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle, once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. You know, you talk about gusto and, and, and software platforms and things that have made life easier. Well, so much is in software and software has a different sales approach. Um, then, well, okay. We talked about the classic, Hey, it's me calling you. We're talking, we have a relationship and whatever. How, how do you see the future of sales and salespeople evolving as so many things are that point and click sale these days? It's not, it's not, it's not the me talking to you like, Hey, like, well, how how did the future? I'm for, I said I'm 46 years old and I'm I'm old now. Like I'm fine with that. I get it. But the way that people were selling when I first got into sales and the way they need to sell sell now are completely different and changing rapidly. How are we going to address that when building future sales organizations? Yeah. So let's. So funny story. I'll I'll answer your question. But but before that, you said let's talk about Gusto. So I know Gusto really well. Um, cause when they came out of YC, um, uh, Josh Reeves, who's the, the CEO, you know, the company was called Zen payroll. I don't know if you know this story, but so Gusto but initially came out. Of, yeah. So Gusto came out of YC and they came out at the same time as this other startup. And one startup was called, uh, Zen payroll. That's what Gusto is today. The other one was called Zenefits and Zenefits was far, founded by Parker Conrad and Zenefits went from like zero to, I want to say like. 5,000 employees or something like that in two years. Uh, y Combinator, thank you. Uh, yeah, for tech jargon folks. So so it was one of the fa 
fastest growing companies in history. I think it hit a $5 billion valuation in like two years or something. And Zenefits basically dominated Zen Payroll. Like could not, it, like everyone, like it was kind of a joke about how Zen Payroll and Zenefits, which kind of did the same thing, came out at the same time. How like one was like, you, you know, so successful, the other one was not. Well, funny story. So, so what happened is, reason Zenefits was growing so fast is because they were cutting a bunch of corners, doing a bunch of illegal shit, uh, you know, selling, selling things that they weren't supposed to sell, having a terrible culture in sales where like people are like hooking up in the stairwell and like, like the crazy stair, like crazy sales culture. And the so, sounds was, a little Wolf of Wall Street. It, there. Was, it yeah. was exactly that. There's a great article about it. You can look it up at some point. It was like three, four years ago. So the CEO gets fired, um, you know, and and kicked out of his own company. And it has this like crazy implosion. Meanwhile, Zen Payroll, which has always been like the, you know, the kinder, it, it's kind of like Uber and Lyft. It's it's a good, it's a good analog for it. You know, Zenefits was like Uber and everyone's like, oh my God, Uber. And then like, you know, at some point people are like, oh, Uber, I don't know about that. Um, and, and Zen Payroll then became Gusto and then from Gusto kind of grew. And now Gusto is much bigger than Zenefits. And anyway, it's, it's a fun story about how, you know, tortoise and the hare and doing things the right way and whatnot. Um, but but that actually ties in really nicely with the question you asked me, which is how are we going to modernize sales in today's landscape? And the answer on this is super simple, Matt. Um, once upon a time, sales was in person. It was belly to belly, face to face, meet someone, shake their hand. Well, uh, a combination of inside sales and, and Zoom meetings and now COVID has made it so that, you know, no one's seeing each other in person anymore. You know, that, that, that shit's dead. So so what are you going to do instead? Um what you have to do and what you have to invest in is so, so people are selling online, right? They're selling over Zoom meetings and stuff, but it's not that easy. It's not just like taking an in-person conversation and putting it on a screen like this. That's not how it works uh, because the, the medium is different. The, the, the feel is different. You know, it's, it's a different vibe when you're like, hey, man, like, let's go, let's go grab some, some beers, uh, you know, after work and we'll, you know, talk shop. And then that's how you get a deal done versus now you have to schedule 45 minutes on someone's calendar and have like a professional meeting thing you know like it requires a lot more um a lot more technical skill it requires you to be a lot more value ridden as you were saying earlier matt you know it really does come down to your ability to be a domain expert in your industry and so i think the thing that that stands out for me the most is that what great sales teams are investing in is not sales training like here's how you objection handle they're investing in industry training. They're investing in making their sales reps domain experts in the industry in which they sell. While other sales teams are still wasting their time doing sales training. Yeah, look, there's a place for sales training and I'm not trying to knock it. Um, I think that there is value in knowing the fundamentals, but that's not what's going to make you a great salesperson in 2021. In 2021, you got to know your product, you got to know your competitors, you got to know your industry, and you got to be able to talk shop with your customers. If you can't do that, then you're not going to win. I've been saying that since 2001, you know, like, and, and, and well, if you're not, I mean, well, if you can't be, if you don't, if you don't know what, okay. So when I first got into sales, I, it, I was successful quickly. Um, and I was entering some, I was beginning to sell something that I had no clue about. I knew nothing about, but I immediately immersed myself 
in to understanding the product that I was selling. But then I learned like almost immediately that I was better if I knew more about what my competitors were selling and what their products were than under, even understanding my own. Why? Because if you have to size something up against something else and you and it's pretty clear you have no clue what you're talking about, well, you aren't going to be credible. You're not going to have, you're not, no one's going to, well, you're, they're not going to believe you. Now I've run into the same problem building a sales organization at full scale. And we went through multiple fails and okay. So first off, it was hard for me. It's hard for me. Okay. I, I, I am a very qualified salesperson, which made it really hard for me to hire other people. Because we're not a high volume sales organization. We don't go through like tens of thousands of leads. And I mentioned our average client is paying $13,000 a month. That's over, that's 150K a year in value. So it also was very difficult for me to develop a sense of trust that I could put a really qualified lead or sales situation in someone's lap and hope that they didn't blow it. Now, for, for me, the, the thing that I was always saying was you need to become an industry expert. Okay, how do I do that? The internet, it's everywhere. Google, there's, there's 10 million articles that come out every month about tech, about software, about industry trends, and the people that fail, the salespeople in our organizations were very much not immersing themselves in that world. Like, how do you expect to communicate with CEOs, CTOs, CIOs, you know, uh, people that are head engineers of software companies, and you don't have a freaking clue about anything that's going on in the industry? What are any of the trends? What are the, you know, what are the changes? Where are things going? I mean, just in, in the last two and a half years, since we started Fullscale, we went from everyone being in love with Angular and, and, you know, as a front end product to it rapidly becoming forgotten in favor of react. Mm -hmm. Now, I noticed that six months in and part of it too was also us having the people that were available to do the work if we actually found the clients, but understanding that that trend was coming. And, you know, you mentioned you were talking about Android and different kinds of different, you know, all that stuff. And I mean, if you don't, if you aren't able to talk to people about what the changes are, how things are going to affect them and all of it, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're selling pianos or if you're selling software. And, you know, it, it, and by the way, I did used to sell pianos. That was my very first job selling. And, right? you know, and, and amidst a time when the digital piano had come out and people were like, that's a fake piano. I'm like, well, you're not going to have to pay someone to move it. You're not going to have to pay someone to tune it. It feels the same. It looks the same, which has more and one's and one's a fifth of the cost. Hmm. So like, and then sit down, do a little math and say, okay, you aren't going to have to tune this twice a year. You're not going to have the average person. Now I at one point lived in Washington, DC, where the average person lives there for like three years. I'm like, you're not going to have to move it. You're not going to have to do all this. It's going to pay for itself. And, you know, finding little points of value that actually make sense to the buyer. They're like, oh, oh, what's in it for me? How about extra money in your pocket? How about, and then, you know, honestly, as, as we move towards the, the end of this episode, 
I think the thing that I have found the benefit in any product or service that is the most valuable is remarkably intangible, and that's peace of mind. If you can offer some, if, if what you're doing or the benefit of, of your service or your value as an account rep or a salesperson is that you can help your client have peace of mind, you will find that that is 10 times more powerful than an actual dollar, like a tangible dollar, because really in the end, if it's, if it's, if it's easy and it's reliable and it creates that peace of mind and it's, and it helps people avoid hassle, there is a hell of a lot of value in that. All right. So I end my episodes of startup hustle. And I say my episodes because I am not the only host of this show. Make sure you check out uh, episodes with Andrew, uh, Andrew Morgans of Marknology learn more about e-commerce and a whole lot of other stuff uh, and talking about collecting feedback from people. We collected feedback from a lot of you who have requested that Andrew do more episodes just about business and he will be in 2020. So stay tuned. Same thing with Lauren. She's going to uh, be hosting a lot of different episodes, including one we'll be recording here in a couple of days about Denver's top startups. We'll be traveling to a new city every month, albeit virtually. And that hurts because I would love to be in Denver and going snowboarding this time of year. But we're going to stop in a new city and talk about top startups. While you're out on the Internet, come check out what we're doing with our YouTube channel. That's right, people. We have started a TV show. My best advice to you is don't start your own TV show. It's a lot of fucking work. That said, we did it. And it's coming out. It's coming out soon. There is a lot of early content on our YouTube channel. You can check out what we're doing, how we're doing it, and soon we'll be announced who we're doing it with. So start a hustle TV. It's a real thing, people. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. I'm really excited about it. Now, I said my episodes. I end my episodes with what I call the Founders Freestyle. It is the way that we help our guests resolve any of the chaos that we created in the 40 to 50 minutes prior to that. I'm going to hand over the mic to you, sir, and give you a chance to say whatever you would like to say as we conclude this episode of Startup Hustle. <clears throat> wow, that's a big responsibility. Um, it is. It, don't I, mess it up. Don't mess it, it up. You'll have to live with that for a long yeah. time. That's, <laughs> that's right. Um, I think the thing I say is sales is the best job in the world, period. It's the most fun most rewarding, most interesting, most creative, best job in the world. Um, and I'm super thankful that I got to build my career in sales. Matt, sounds like you've had a great run of it as well. And, uh, you know, one, you can, you can take the salesperson out of sales, but you can't take the sales out of the salesperson. And uh, once you learn that, you know, what sales really is about is talking to customers and generating revenue, you realize that those are some pretty important skill sets for a CEO, for a VC, for an executive. And so sales is a perfect place to launch your career. And for everyone who's listening to this and hopefully, you know, in the early stages of their career or maybe looking to make a career move, come check out sales. It's a great place to, to, to launch pad and kind of accelerate your, your, your growth. That's it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, for me, and and let's get this out of the way because if you've listened, you know, I've dropped out of five colleges. I have a high school diploma. Technically, that is my highest level of education, and I've made a hell of a lot of money as a salesperson. 
And that enabled me to do a lot of other things. It, it gave me the foundation to start a startup. And when it comes to building a sales organization, I think that you have to begin by identifying your business as a sales organization. You know, I, I said earlier that we'll, I'll often refer to Fullscale as a marketing company that happens to sell tech services because we do a lot of marketing, but the purpose of our marketing is to make a sale because we are a sales organization and we need to be. So just be upfront about it. And if you have people that don't seem to identify, trust, or want to be on board with that, give them a chance to be on board or point to the door. Because, you know, in the end, if your company isn't selling, nothing occurs in any business until something is sold. And if you don't believe that, you need to, because it's true. If you don't believe that, that you've never yeah. run a company before. That's the reality. Yeah. 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 If, and you, then, if you understand that, that at the end of the day, no matter how great your product is, how great your marketing is, how, how awesome your investors, that the end of the day, every business is measured by one measuring stick. And that's how much profit you generate as a, as a company. And there has never in the history of the world been a company that does not generate revenue and is successful. Like it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're out in San Francisco, so you're in the culture of raise capital, raise capital, raise capital, but that capital isn't going to come in. It might in the beginning, but eventually if you're not selling stuff and you're not validating sales, validates everything you do. And well, even raising, though, you know, Matt, I'll, I'll, I'll end on this point. You know, it, people think about VC and don't understand. My wife's a VC. Like people don't understand how venture capital works. The reason why, why VCs give money to businesses, to startups, isn't because they think the product is great. It's because they think one day you can generate a lot of revenue for it. If you don't have a clear plan that shows how you're going to generate a shit ton of revenue, and if that plan, and if you think that plan is not going to include having a shit ton of salespeople that are going to be out there pounding the pavement trying to close deals, then you're out of your mind. You know, like, no, I've never met a VC who has been willing to back a startup that was like, hey, we're going to be a nonprofit. I'd like to see the day. I'd like to see the day when they're like, yeah, we're not going to generate any revenue uh, for this organization. Give us money. No, it's always, we're going to build this product. It's going to do this, going to do that and blah, blah, blah. But eventually there's a slide in there and that slide is labeled revenue. And if the VC doesn't believe that there's a ton of revenue that your business is going to generate, you are not getting capital point blank. We we may have to do a follow up episode on what it's like in a house with, where a, a venture capitalist is married to someone that runs a vast sales network. Ah, um, I can it, I can yeah. imagine I can imagine that that would be uh, that would be uh, uh, either the greatest worst. Uh, moments of, of of a day for several people, but that that's that would, that would really be uh, some fun conversation. It, I say that because my wife is like the opposite of a salesperson, and then there's me, so we kind of equal out in the middle at, at a nice a nice beautiful range. Once again, if you get a chance, go to go to bravado.co. If you're having problems with sales, you need to address it. You need to figure it out. You need to do something. You need to start learning. And there's no better way to do that than learning it from people that have done it. That said, thank you again for joining me today. I'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.
like with the world.